Welcome to Mike and Matt the Movies. This is our third Star Wars episode. So we're going to be looking at The Mandalorian and then the sequels trilogy. We've already looked at the prequels and the originals as well as Rogue One and a solo movie. So we're back again. Uh, Mike, welcome back. Thank you very much. Good to see you. And then we're also joined by Paul Dameron and Supreme Leader Cooper. Or if you prefer, <laughs> maybe General Tristan Organa. <laughs> Um, and then we've also got Emperor Palpabrine <laughs> or Lando Caltristian. Nice. So, you know, it's our last Star Wars episode, so we're determined to get our shit in. So um, we're just going to run off <laughs> as many of the different names as we can. Um, Paul and TC, welcome back. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having us back. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to this one, kind of, with it being the sequels. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think there is kind of a mixed reaction to these films, as, as not as much negativity as the prequels, but there is definitely a, a mixed opinion on the sequels. Um, although everyone's putting face at me, so maybe it is as bad as the prequels. So, but before we move on to the movies, we're sticking to the chronological order. So we're just going to touch briefly on the Mandalorian. Okay, so on the 24th of March 2020, conveniently at the start of a national lockdown, or even more conveniently on the 12th of November 2019 for our American friends, we saw the launch of Disney Plus's first huge draw, The Mandalorian. Uh, it aired to both critical and viewer acclaim and currently holds to the extremely respectable scores of 8.8 on IMDb and 93 and 91% for critical and audience scores, respectively, on Rotten Tomatoes. So as much as we would love to discuss each episode in detail, uh, we're very wary that our runtime would end up being almost as long as the prequel trilogy. Uh, so we will instead briefly discuss our overall thoughts on the show as a whole and how it fits into the bigger universe. Uh, so I'll hand it over to the floor. Guys, what were your thoughts? It's Star Wars perfection. I mean, jo John Favreau is a genius. Uh, Dave Filoni is a genius. And they have reinvigorated and rewarded Star Wars fans with a show that both pays homage to the Star Wars universe, but also expanded it in a way that we probably weren't expecting. I mean, it, it delivered on every level, going through both, both seasons to that the culmination of season two, which whilst, yes, of course, it's for, I mean, there's a lot of fan serving going on within it, but it's, it's so well layered within the show. The, I mean, well, there were several things in in season two that they've they've dropped in with Ahsoka and uh, just the, the and I don't want to say that final moment. I would love to talk about it in detail, but that final moment, which it it was the perfect culmination of that story of Grogu. I mean, it it, it just was perfect, and I can't wait to see where they go next. And obviously, the tease with the spin-off, if you want to call it that, that's coming this Christmas uh, with Boba Fett is just wonderful and uh, I, I it's very difficult to articulate quite how much of a fan of this show I am uh, I, I will put it down to in the in the strange times that we're in at the moment two of my face masks that I wear are Mandalorian based <laughs> one <laughs> is this is the way and the other one is baby Yoda Grogu and they are front and center most of the time when uh, I do have to go out and interact in the world as it is at the moment uh, and in these strange times, I can't think of a more fitting way to say how much I love the show. Uh, what about you, TC? Yeah, I mean, to, to try and add on top of that, um, after a rather interesting group of sequels that we'd seen, um, 
Mandalorian came along, uh, as we've discussed in previous pods, about how the whole idea of the anthology of Star Wars, where it would go. We had a really excellent one with Rogue One and then a not-so-great entry with Solo. So um, how, how could this work? Could it still be fundamentally Star Wars but still feel new and fresh? And the Mandalorian managed to do that with, with such a plum. It was incredible. that um, I waited until all the episode dropped. I know, I think, yeah, it was last March when the first season, and they, they did the over eight weeks. And um, although quite a few things did get spoiled, because unfortunately that's the nature of the internet nowadays, I, I couldn't escape it, especially with all the memes that were going around of uh, little, as the internet called it, Baby Yoda, which uh, still kind of irks me. We, we know his name now. It's Grogu. So why is he still being referred to as, as uh, even the child or you know, baby Yoda, he's not baby Yoda. Yoda's dead. He's gone. You know, it's, it's just a part of that race. I love the fact that we don't know the name of the race still, but I like the yeah. fact that Grogu got a name. There's still a lot of mystery surrounding that particular species in Star Wars, which hopefully may be further stories or perhaps they won't tell us, but you know, again, I, as I've mentioned before, I love some of that mystery and mysticism behind certain characters. We didn't need to know the sordid history of Han Solo and they botched it anyway. <laughs> so, uh, But with Mandalorian, yeah, it, it took the, the Western vibe and themes from A New Hope and, and really crafted it into, I think, something special. For me, it's almost perfect Star Wars. And although it's a series, uh, both seasons together, The Mandalorian as a title is just in my top five of all time Star Wars. Um, just up there, with, well, it's up there with Rogue One and Empire for me. It's um, character driven, story driven. Um, I really hated it when I saw people online going, oh, this episode was such a filler. There was no filler episodes for me. Every episode was key to the overall story arc. And that, and that quite often with series, you do get filler episodes. I understand where that phrase comes from. But with Mandalorian, I didn't think there was not a single one. Every episode, it was building that bond, that relationship between Mando and Grogu. So the, I know, Paul, that some of the moments you're talking about in that final episode, but for me, when one of the few times in the series where he takes his helmet off and you see the emotion and they have that little motion between, I mean, a grown man crying my eyes out in my front room yeah. while I was watching that, amongst yeah. all the other many amazing moments that happened in that final episode. Um, I know you, you mentioned the fan service, but yes, it was. But at the same time, it also served the story that you'd been investing in for the previous 15 episodes. It tied it up nicely. Season, I love the fact, as much as I'd love to watch um, Mandalorian again right now, I love the fact that we have got a gap between seasons two and three, because hopefully season three is going to be very different. At the risk of having a lot of people boo me, I hope we don't see Grugu again for a while. Follow the story of Mando. He's hopefully he's going to go back to his home planet now because he is technically king of the planet. And we see a different, you know, the, the, the story can go somewhere different in season three. But I'm sure we'll see Grogu again at some point in the future, but maybe just not straight away. Uh, very excited for Boba Fett at Christmas. Very excited for next April when we get season three. And uh, yeah, for me, Mandalorian is, is it's perfect Star Wars. So um, I was very happy to watch. I've seen that both seasons three times each now. <laughs> Yeah. And it's also, I mean, it, there's, it's opened up so many other opportunities. Obviously, Ahsoka's going to get her own TV series as well. They, they, they dropped the bomb that she's still looking for. She's looking for Admiral Thrawn, which links directly to Star Wars Rebels and one of the characters that went off for Thrawn in that series. So are they going to tie in Rebels? Are we going to see those characters coming into the show as well? I mean, an Admiral Thrawn as a character was only ever in the extended universe books initially. Uh, and then, which was going to be discounted once we went into the new new phase with, with the new canon, but they brought that character across because he was so popular. It, it's so exciting 
for where they're going to go with this because it's a tv show they've got the time to do it and because of the critical acclaim you know it's going to happen if it had been mediocre reviews yeah it may have sort of just got wishy-washy and just not happened and they would have gone for spectacle over over story but there's so many beautiful little moments and ahsoka was realized perfectly uh, in her episode and rosario dawson did an amazing job she's perfect for it and it's yeah it's it's wonderful it's absolutely wonderful I have a lot of friends who have never watched Star Wars before who watched The Mandalorian just out of curiosity because they signed into Disney Plus uh, and they love the series and they were like, now I want to go and, and watch more Star Wars because because of how good The Mandalorian was. I say, well, you're going to be elated in some episodes and disappointed in others, but that's great. You, you know, you're a, you're a Star Wars virgin, off you go and enjoy. But one of the characters that stood out was Ahsoka, you know, and people were saying, like, oh, wow, where's this character from? And, you know, I've... I've pushed to a lot of people towards the Clone Wars. Watch the Clone Wars. That's where she's, you know, one of the main characters and, and you will love it. She, she was brilliantly realised in that. So, yeah, I guess in a way, it, it's just the, the Mandalorian is a good way of, of, of creating a new fan base almost, a fan base that appreciates good storytelling, which, of course, you know, the prequels tried to do and the recent sequels have tried to do, but went about it in the wrong way, in my opinion. We'll get more to, on that very shortly, of course. On our podcast uh, that we did recently about Cinema is Back, uh, my unpopular opinion uh, was that I think TV series have far outshone films, certainly over the last 12 months. And I think this is just the perfect example of that. Um, I mean, I've always been a huge fan of, of TV series anyway. I think it's great that you get so much more time to be invested within the story, the characters. You just get to know everything so, in so much more detail than you ever can over say two hours but I just think again this is the perfect example of that as a massive Star Wars fan anyway I was extremely excited for it and I was very worried to see whether this was going to be as far as Star Wars spin-offs go was this going to be another Rogue One or was it going to be another Solo and I could not have been happier to find out that it's clearly another Rogue One it's just it's perfect you can tell how much uh, Favreau is just a huge fan of the uh, films um it's just stayed so true to it I just adore it absolutely love it uh, I don't think I can really add much more to what you guys have said because it, you know glowing endorsement it's it's wonderful yeah I mean j- just to follow on from some of the other points that we made like obviously like TC said about like there's not really any filler and I think what's good is like because it's a Disney product and it's going on Disney plus so it's all in-house I think it was really good that they didn't have to stick to like a 43 minute runtime um, that you would do for TV. And I think that's where a lot of the filler comes from. So, like, you know, the, the, the fact that the, the length of the episode varied depending on what was happening, um, I thought that was really good. And just like everything was just really well done. So like even like uh, over the credits at the end where they had the... Um, the artists, the the storyboards of the yeah, scenes the and stuff, course, yeah. and yeah, and trying, and obviously like seeing like all the the documentaries that come along with it as well on Disney Plus is is really good, and then like the names as well that they've brought into the show as well, just just as like almost like bit part characters. So you've had like Timothy Oliphant was in uh, start of season two, Katie Sackhoff. So if anyone's like a Battlestar Galactic fan, would we'll appreciate that. Sasha Banks from WWE was one of the Mandalorian um, warriors as well. But then probably my, as much as I loved the end of season two, my favorite episode was probably the penultimate episode where they had like the the tanker run right. with, uh, yep. with, with Bill Burr as yeah. the sort of like the, the kind of the guest actor on it. And, you know, he's a comedian for all intents and purposes, you know, but he, he's, he really showed his acting chops in, in that episode. And I absolutely love that episode. And it kind of like really kind of accelerated everything to, towards the end. But yeah, I think, you know, it's all, it's all around thumbs up 
from from all well from everyone I think really for for Mandalorian. So so on that high, we will now move on to the sequel trilogy. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Episode 7 The Force Awakens Luke Skywalker has vanished. In his absence, the Sinister First Order has risen from the ashes of the Empire and will not rest until Skywalker, the last Jedi, has been destroyed. With the support of the Republic, General Leia Organa leads a brave resistance. She is desperate to find her brother Luke and gain his help in restoring peace and justice to the galaxy. Leia has sent her most daring pilot on a secret mission to Jakku, where an old ally has discovered a clue to Luke's whereabouts. Before we move on to start talking about the sequel trilogy, I just want to give a big shout out to Mike Mad Dog Angus for doing the uh, crawl for us. He's a wrestling ring announcer, he does lots of podcasts, you know, all around good egg. So, yeah, if you can check him out on Facebook and Twitter, give him a follow. Uh, but, yeah, thanks, Mike, for doing that for us. After the bad taste of the prequel trilogy, we finally get some Star Wars sequels, starting with A Force Awakens. Personally, I'm I'm really on the fence with this film because Palmy loves it and Palmy thinks it's like a massive nostalgia trip as well. And like this, I remember sitting and watching it in cinema on like the day it came out, and absolutely, you know, you get that lump in your throat, and it's very much Star Wars. But at the same time, is it just a little bit of a rehash of a New Hope? Do the characters make as big of an impression on you as they did in a New Hope? So, um, kicking out to TC first, and what were your what were your feelings on Force Awakens? Well, I. I've been searching my feelings and knowing them to be true. Um, Yeah, watching them again recently, I I remember 2015 was like such a huge year for cinema anyway. And yeah, at the end of the year off with the return of Star Wars after 10 years, brand new stories, continuing the the story ahead. We knew that a lot of the older characters were going to come back. So just from that teaser trailer, I remember having goosebumps when uh, you saw the final shot of Han and Chewie walking onto what was clearly the Millennium Falcon and saying, Chewie. We're home. We're home, you know. And I remember watching that with an audience and and just a trailer getting cheers and people genuinely feeling excited that those months building up to the release was fantastic. And in 2015, the film, for me, didn't disappoint me at the time. I did like it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought, yes, Star Wars is back. I did like the balance. 
ironically, with the force of uh, the new characters and the old characters. I like the idea that you know Finn was a conflicted stormtrooper, no longer using clones, but somehow recruiting people around the galaxy. Uh, we didn't actually find out the real reason behind that, I think, until Rise, when they talk about how children are abducted and then groomed into being troopers. But Finn broke from that programming. Now, that early sequence at that camp where he decides not to shoot innocents and he knows it's wrong, and that begins his story arc. So I thought, well, we've not seen this before. And actually tying in with what you said, Matt, about episode seven of season two Mandalorian, the ex-imperial character who knows that things were wrong and has decided to do something about it. So I really like that. You know, the introduction of Rey as a scavenger, you're kind of thought, well, where's her character art going to go? She's going to somehow be force imbued at some point. My, my theory, and again, Star Wars fans have had multiple theories over these three films, and that's where a lot of, I think, the disappointment has come from. But I always thought that maybe she was tied to Obi-Wan Kenobi in some kind of way. Of course, the, the reality would be very, very different by the time we got to Rise of Skywalker. But um, I thought it was a, a fun introduction. It was a fun film. It brought the fun back to Star Wars. It was enjoyable. But over the, over the years, and certainly watching it again recently, it's, it's majorly flawed. Like you say, it is a rehash of New Hope. It's a lot of old ideas we've seen before redone. Another Death Star, only you've made it bigger and in a planet. I mean, the, the physics of that doesn't work for me. I'm sorry, this, this has actually been a bugbear for the last couple of days. It's a planet that they've scooped out the center of and created this huge star killer base weapon in the middle of it. But surely that would just destabilize the planet and destroy it. The planet couldn't possibly function anymore with all that messing about with the core of the planet. I know I'm adding real physics to science. Where's your suspension of disbelief? But within, within the laws of science fiction, you have to follow your own rules. And I believe this one broke too many rules of the Star Wars universe. The next thing is, apparently this thing, which is only a small planetoid, needs an entire star to power it. Bearing in mind that stars are hundreds, thousands of times bigger than planetoids. All that energy is converted into this little tiny planetoid. Okay, fine. Now, as far as I'm aware, the Starkiller base can't physically move. It's in that system. So how, if the sun's still burning, and yet it needs an entire sun for one shot, how come it's able to fire initially when the sun's still there? And then we see during the course of the film, it's, it's recharging using that sun. And they actually state in the script, once the sun is gone, that means the Starkiller base is powered up and ready to take its next shot. So where did it get its original energy? What, 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 what star? Was it a binary star system with a two star? I don't know. It just it just seems so not well thought out. They just thought this is going to be really cool. A planet that can kill. Mm. And it and it is. And, you know, the parallels to the Death Star do, do kind of irk me. And so many things just kind of wrong with that. But it did it with such a pom. Like I say, in 2015, I didn't really think about it. You know, I just kind of enjoyed and went along with it. But subsequently, over the years, it's just kind of each time I watch it, it I, I can see some cracks and flaws in it. The, the, the whole star killer base thing aside. I don't know what you guys feel. Maybe maybe you think I'm just kind of picking up on something that doesn't really exist. But um, I, I think it's quite hard to talk about it without the context of the other two films. Because mm-hmm. I, I, agree, I agree with you that at the time of watching it, it was just like a feel-good, nostalgia, nice film to see. You know, some fantastic visuals like with the fight at the end. Uh, also, my, one of my favourite bits uh, was like the X-Wings coming in over the lake. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, you see yeah. X-Wings in space and stuff and then do, and doing that like visually that looks amazing but it's they they set up or they hint at quite a few things in a force awakens that then they kind of screw up afterwards 
you know, like, you know, Ray's heritage for a start, the relationship between Ray and Finn as well. It's kind of like love story in that film, I think, because uh, they do go closer. Like she doesn't want to, he keeps trying to hold a hand when he, when they first meet and she's complaining, but by the end, you know, they're getting a lot closer and then they kind of just go off on a completely different tangent with that towards the end uh, in the, the later films. I'm not too keen on Kylo Ren. I think for starters, they unmasked him far too early. And they kind of like said who he was, you know, like you know, quite easily in the film. So Adam Driver's quite a difficult one for me because I don't really like him in that role. But then I've seen other films that he's done and I think he's an amazing actor, but I don't think he really fits with within like the Star Wars role. So there's just a lot of things where there's like it kind of sows those seeds and then they kind of screw it up afterwards, I think. So then when you look back at the film with the context, it's kind of like it kind of ruins the film a little bit. Yeah, it's difficult. It's I I re- up front, I mean I really like this film and I still really like this film because of the feels it gave me. Uh it, there's there is that nostalgia thing, but that's you know, there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. But you're right, in terms of you're looking at it in context with the three films, it smacks of them not having a three film story arc. Because like you said, there are so many things that are set up in this film that are either ignored or pushed to one side in films two and three it's really it's a really strange vibe but just talking about this one specifically i i i really like it and i still like it even though you said tristan the first time you watch it not on the big screen when we saw the trailers before the film came out sobbing like a baby uh, it was pathetic because it just made me feel like i was eight years old again watching the original star wars and the odeon leicester square and it it gave me the, for those feels and there are some there are some beats throughout the film that are wonderful the reveal of the millennium falcon is perfect in the context of that film it just i took my friend it had been out for months in the cinema it was still showing at an imax cinema uh, local to a friend of mine and she hadn't been to the cinema for a couple of years at least and wanted to see it so i took it to to see it and we watched it in i think it was 3d imax for, for for this one i think i still have the bruise on my arm for the several times that she punched me my arm with excitement when the millennium falcon's real when that camera swings around and suddenly it's there and you get the fanfare of the theme it, it's, it's an incredible moment. Uh, I, you know, obviously having Han and Chewie back in it again, there's still that. I mean, he, he just, Harrison Ford just dropped back into that scoundrel role perfectly with the sarcasm and, the, and just, it just was great. And yeah, there were, there were just, it just really works for me as a film. Yes, it is a rehash of A New Hope. It is, you know, from start to finish, all the beats are pretty, yeah, pretty much, much similar. I like the new characters. Uh, you know, the story obviously was that Poe Dameron's character was only supposed to be at the beginning. He wasn't supposed to be in the rest of the films, but you know, he did such a, Oscar Isaac did such a great job uh, with that, that they rewrote the script to incorporate that character, which I think was a, was a definitely a, a positive and that was a good thing to have done because he, he was a great character. I agree, that scene with the X-Wings coming across the water is wonderful. That whole sequence is, is great and this, the tracking camera shot that follows Poe's X-Wing as he shoots out both TIE fighters and stormtroopers on the ground going around. Um, it's great. And yeah, it, it just worked. And it, but the, the frustration for me is, my frustration will come as we move on to the other films, is that there are so many little things that are just teased in the script of this film that are never realised going forward. That's my frustration, So, which is why it sort of sits, and possibly why you feel like you do about it now, because it sits, it doesn't really fit as part of that trilogy anymore. Um, so, but yeah, but I, I I really love it. I, it it still gives me the feels when I watch it now. Uh, we haven't sat through them all again. Yeah, so I, I yeah I really like it. 
I'm a fan. In my notes, I'll put it was the uh, first Star Wars film in 10 years, but the first good one in 32 years. Um, <laughs> as soon as I saw the teaser trailer for this one, I was so excited to see that it returned to sort of the dark, grungy atmosphere that the prequel trilogy just completely lacked. You know, everything was just so shiny when it was all CGI'd. You can't, there's no stand in for using real props. And I think that shone in so many ways in this one with some of the, uh, like the ships, the external shots of those and things like that. It's true, it has so many parallels with the original, and it felt a lot like they were just trying to bring, perhaps try to bring the Star Wars series to a new audience that perhaps wouldn't have seen the originals, as well as, you know, giving us a lot of, of throwbacks to try and, you know, get us excited, which worked for me. Um, I was very excited when I saw the trailer. I wasn't disappointed when I went to see it. I loved it. Um, Kylo Ren, I have to disagree with you, Matt. I think he's fantastic. I really like him. And his first scene, I think the opening scene when you see him use the force for the first time, it still gave me goosebumps this time around when he just stops the uh, the shot in midair and then releases it as he casually walks off. I just love that. I just think it's such a great introduction to that character. Donald Gleeson as well. I think he's fantastic in all three of these. I like him in most things. Um very much enjoying him completely off topic in Frank of Ireland at the moment if you haven't seen that that's worth a watch very funny but yeah I thought he was fantastic in these and one little fact I found when I was just doing a bit of research for this which I thought was quite funny um, when Finn and Ray ask Han if he's the Han Solo he replies I used to be uh, which is a reply that Ford regularly uses himself when asked if he's Harrison Ford <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah I'm a big fan of this film of certainly the strongest of the three but it was very exciting after so long of well 32 years since the last very good Star Wars film for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I must admit, I was quite a fan of Rilo, uh, Rilo, Rilo Ken. Rilo Ken. <laughs> I'm just renaming him. <laughs> he used to be. Um, yeah, no, I mean, yeah I, I, I must admit, when I first saw it and they, they just kind of dropped that info about who he really is, you know, he Ben Solo, I just thought, oh, you could have built up to that, you know, that was kind of, but then I thought, though, there must be a purpose. You know, there was quite a lot of scenes where I felt, yeah, this... We know there's two more coming, so we're being given information, we're being given certain bits of information now, there's other things that have been left on purpose, on the shelf, ready to be revealed in the future. So when I watched for Force Awakens for the first time, I felt that this is a good, solid start. I'm excited to be back in that. It was great to see yeah, Han, Chewie, and Leia. You know, it was uh, even C-3PO. How do you get the red arm? Who knows? These droids have literally been to every part of the galaxy and back at this point. You, you need know, to read the comic. There's a there's a comic book that goes through that tells you about that. Exactly. Yeah. You know. So that was that was a nice little thing of comics media sort of adding to the to the story. But uh, yeah, I mean, this is thirty. It actually is thirty years since the end of Jedi, and I found it interesting that obviously evil still exists and it had reformed as the the first order. I thought the Maz character was great and she did obviously offer quite a lot of exposition. Um, the, the, the fact that she was in possession of Luke's original lightsaber, the one that he got from Vader and the one that, I mean, shouldn't have had a hand or at least a skeletal hand attached to that. You know, the one that got chopped off in uh, Empire. <laughs> Interesting that in 30 years, it's obviously been found and it's somehow found its way to, to Maz's stash, you know, in the bottom of, uh, you know, her lair kind of thing. But I thought she was a great introduction. Uh, is my boyfriend here? I like that Wookiee. You know, great little character introduction. I thought, OK, I'm going to see more of her. And we did, but unfortunately not as much. You know, some characters were introduced and I thought had decent payoffs. Other characters just, they, they unfortunately, like you say, Matt, um, in hindsight, and Paul, it becomes a very disjointed trilogy, unfortunately. But 
again I try and think of how I first felt when I watched Force Awakens and there was so much good in there initially I thought uh, and look I mean Mark, you talk about scenes I loved it when Ray takes the Millennium Falcon out for a spin for the first time trying to escape on Jakku that whole sequence of flying in the what the remains of the uh, Star Destroyer that whole sequence felt like proper Star Wars to me you know seeing the Millennium Falcon at any point and some of the camera angles we were like, like tipping upside down and you know Abrams bringing his his visual little tricks to the party which something that lucas probably wouldn't have thought of doing you know he wouldn't have thought in that four-dimensional space whereas abrams had proven with the star trek series he was capable of doing so um yeah i mean it's i do like it i, I like it a lot ironically i it's not actually my favorite out of the new trilogy that's going to cause some uh some consternation when we get to oh, it i'm going to uh, drop off the call now <laughs> uh, but also i mean this film has also has one of the seminal moments in the star wars saga the death of Han Solo. I mean that that moment, and for me, it's the most. It's the beat after that with Chewie's cry after he sees his best friend die broke my heart. That character's been in my life since 1977, and to see him go, and but it was. I mean, but the thing is, perfect for the story, absolutely perfect moment for the story because the the dialogue that that preceded that, you know, some people would would think that. You know, he was talking about the difficult decision was to move away from the dark side. But no, his difficult decision was to kill his father to complete his journey or try you know, to put him to be further along on his journey to the dark side. Uh, I loved that juxtaposition in that sequence. It was a shocking moment and still gets me. And it's, it's Chewie's cry as much as anything else that gets me in that film. It's a massive moment absolutely massive moment. And it's weirdly, for some reason, people tend to forget it <laughs> i don't know why it's because it's such a huge moment right, in, in the audiences that i was sat in at the time over that christmas of 2015 people were gasping people were like oh no you know like audibly shouting out in the you know uncontrollably like they were so invested in that moment you're right it is a fantastic moment but i, I must admit when i saw that i was like oh it's finally happened then because i don't know if you guys are aware but harrison ford has wanted han to die right yeah. from empire he wanted him to die in empire that's right. He wanted it to die in Return of the Jedi. So I think that was probably a clause in his contract where I'll come back and I'll do it. However, you've got to kill this character off. Ironically, we still see him again in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> they must have paid him a lot of moolah or he needed a new yacht. But um, yeah, um, so yeah, Paul, you're right. That, that moment is fantastic. But at the same time, I, I kind of sat there going, oh, Harrison's got his wish. Fair enough, you know. So, um, it's yeah, the story. story. Exactly. That's the important thing that um, Force Awakens, I felt that a lot of it served the story. It wasn't just there for the sake of it. Uh, and it was, it was a good beat. And yeah, I, I really did like um, Kylo at the time or Ben, you know, I just, I, I was kind of, I want to see where this character goes. And clearly Ray and Kylo are going to be like the yin and yang. They're going to, this is kind of like going to be the new, you know, good versus evil. Before we move on, I was like the, the final shot of the film is that massive, like um, swirling, shot of uh, Ray going and finding Luke uh, and then holding out his uh, his lightsaber to him. And it was good to see Luke back. Obviously, it was kind of like held off to the very, very end of the film and then dragged out a, a lot, <laughs> I'd say, to be honest. I think I think he kind of like reached its kind of like crescendo moment and then still carried on going for a little bit longer. So I suppose that's the appropriate point to move on. So, uh, so yeah, so we move on now to The um, Last Jedi. 
Episode 8 The Last Jedi The First Order reigns, having decimated the peaceful Republic. Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny. Certain the Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds toward the Rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. So I suppose we'll start The Last Jedi where we left off with Force Awakens. Um, so you kind of get the, the next aspect or the next beat in um, in Rey giving Luke his lightsaber back and he takes the lightsaber from her and just throws her over his shoulder off a cliff. So um, I think that was an interesting start to this film in, in, in that aspect of the storyline. Before I open it out to the floor... I'm probably going to get some hate for this from Mr. Breen in particular, because um, I have mentioned this before. This is my favourite of the sequel trilogy. However, it is incredibly, hugely flawed. So if you could take chunks out of it, it would make it a fundamentally better film. I think I've kind of watched it as a film in and of itself, like not necessarily looking at like the bigger picture of it. So but there's stuff like the, the whole bit with the casino makes no sense whatsoever they turn Finn into you know a chicken who's trying to run away and then it creates this whole separate relationship for him that moves him away from Ray they get I think Jim Henson put some characters on the island with Luke as well looking after the the caretakers of the island and there's, there's just lots of little things that don't really fit but there's also lots of stuff that I absolutely love with the film starting with the opening sequence with the sort of like the, the bombing run on the dreadnought you know, they play it for laughs at the start where um, Poe was getting on the uh, on the radio and he's sort of like pretending that he can't hear him and he's, he's sort of like thinks he's talking to a secretary and he's daft and it's silly. Um, but then that whole sequence with him sort of like attacking the Dreadnought by himself and then the bombers coming in, I thought was was really, really strong. So, I mean, I've got more to say on it, but we'll kind of wait till we're near the end of the film. Uh, but what do you guys think about it? We, we, learn, we won't start with Breen, because uh, I, I know he's going he's gonna, to um, deflate my sails. So, uh, Mike, what about you? What are your feelings on The Last Jedi? You're going to regret handing it over to me now. I didn't like this one. I, oh, it, for fuck's it, sake. <laughs> yeah, it, it has some redeeming moments. Yeah, the opening scene is fantastic. I enjoy the scene um, where Snoke gets killed. And then they take out the guards around them. However, I would question, how is it that easy? These, these guys are meant to be protecting Snoke and they're taken out with relative ease. I appreciate there are two strong warriors there, but yeah. Um, so that fell a bit flat for me. Uh, the casino scene, I found it funny that Disney were lecturing us on capitalism, but that's fine. Other than that, I haven't really got much love for this. I was, uh, no. You shouldn't have handed this over to me. Uh, <laughs> well, I, on, on, on the point of Snoke, 
I was massively disappointed with because obviously in, in the Force Awakens you only see him as that giant uh, like hologram, um, yeah. and then there's tons of like fan theories about about who he was, what he was, and everything. And then you kind of get to it, and you see him properly in the next film, and he's just some withered, admittedly powerful like um, Sith Lord, but he wasn't anything special. And then they just killed him off. So, mm. but I do I do like that scene. But yeah, um, I'm still avoiding your brain. Um, TC, what your thoughts on this film? Uh, well, I, I have a feeling then that we are going to be finally equally balanced with two people loving it and two people hating it. It, it is my favourite of the trilogy. I really do like it. And I know it's flawed and I know that there are bits that even even so make me cringe. But I think the good outweighs the bad in this film um, for, for lots of different reasons. I'll, I'll get to the snow bit in a, a moment. But visually, I thought it was great. I like Ryan Johnson as a, as a writer and a director. I think he's done some great stuff. Things like Looper and Knives Out. He, he's, a, he's a good, solid director. And he stated that he wanted to make a Star Wars film that didn't quite feel like Star Wars. He wanted to do something a bit different. Now, after Force Awakens, which was very enjoyable, but did feel like a rehash and just where's, where's the new kind of story arc's going to come from? It looks like we're going to get more of the same. He at least tried to do something different. Now, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I, I mean, we, we could argue, discuss it right here and now, but at least he tried to take away people's preconceptions of what they were going to see in a Star Wars film and try and do something um, different. Like, for instance, with Snoke, I did think that, oh, we've got another emperor figure with another apprentice. We've seen this time and time again is there going to be a different dynamic? And that scene in the throne room, absolutely amazing. It's, I was shocked, you know, when the, the way that Snoke's looking into Kylo's mind, it's like, yes, I can see you're turning the lights over, you're going to kill your true enemy. And then, vroom, and you get the blue glaze go through Snoke. And suddenly, that the way that the lightsaber just comes out, and I was like, oh, shit, they've killed him off. Kylo's actually taken that step. That It took Vader all the way until he saw his son in peril to do at the end of Return of the Jedi as a finale. But in the middle of this trilogy, we, we've got the, the, the Emperor figure, whomever he may be, being taken out. And I know a lot of fans are like, oh, but we don't we want to know his backstory. And we didn't know the backstory of the Emperor in the original. You know, think back to Return of the Jedi when we first met the Emperor properly and he turned up. We didn't know his backstory. We didn't know he was powerful. We didn't know any of that at the time. But he was still this figure of evil and darkness that, were, that completely encaptured you during Return of the Jedi. Snoke had the... I thought Snoke was going to go the same way. We won't know about his background, but we know what he's doing now. And over the last 30 years, since the Emperor died, he's changed the Empire into the First Order, and they've become even more of a threat. And he's and he's looking at actually bringing the Sith back. I thought it was more about the future, where that character was going to go. But for Kylo to make that decision, for him to become Supreme Leader, and for General Hux, of course, to step out of line, and, uh, you know, long live the Supreme Leader, that whole scene was great. But um, I kind of see where you're, where you're coming from, Mike, the, the, the Crimson and guardsmen were taken down fairly quickly but as we discover in rise of skywalker ray and kylo have got this link very strong link which again in last jedi we see something we've never seen before we've seen, we know that jedis can or people who are strong with the force i should say can communicate mentally but this took it to another level where ray and kylo could actually physically see each other and they could even touch there's a lovely little moment where she's standing in the rain and they're having a conversation. And then on Kylo's glove, you've actually got the, the rain residue from the, the planet that she's on with, with Luke and that kind of stuff. And he just brought a new kind of angle to how people connected to the force. And, and Luke, I thought was fantastic in this. And again, a lot of fans hated it. Even Mark Hamill came out and said he didn't like what happened with the character. But I love that. The idea that we've seen it before Jedi, when they fail, 
they really take it personally. You know, Obi-Wan went into hiding. Yoda went into hiding. So why is it such a big deal to all the fans that Luke would do what he did? He failed with the new Order of Jedi. He, he had Kylo as his prized pupil, clearly, who turned to the dark side quite early on. And Luke lost control of that situation. And as he says in a lovely little monologue to Rey when they're on the island together, the Jedi, at the height of their powers, were useless. Darth Sidious rose to power, the Empire... They, they couldn't stop it. And he's lost faith. He has lost his hope. And that's his story arc. And I thought that, I thought that was fascinating. I love to see that aspect. And I know a lot of Star Wars fans didn't. They wanted Luke's return to be a lot better. But at the end of the, sh uh, the film, he redeems himself. He makes that choice to go and help out his sister and help out the resistance. And again, in a wonderful way of using the force in a different kind of way, where he actually sends his like spiritual self, but the strain of it kind of kills him or he, he finally lets go and again that whole thing of him i've come here to die he feels he can't give anything more to the to the galaxy but he can because he's luke skywalker and there's i think there's so much going on in in terms of character arc in this that yeah i think people center on the bad and don't quite look at all the good stuff and also just to finish off my little ramble it features one of my visually one of my the finest moments in star wars for me and i just get goosebumps every time it happens and that's where holdo uses the ship to take out Snoke's battlecruiser and, and most of the army. She sacrificed herself. I remember being in, a, in an IMAX cinema in Leicester Square with, should we say, some of the more dolty customers that can sometimes go to, see, to the cinema. And that dropping sound for three or four minutes and just the visual of that like lightning strike through the, the Armada was breathtaking, especially on an IMAX screen. And I was like, whoa. Oh my God. And that, and Paul, I felt like a six year old again, like that seeing that kind of visual on the big screen was just amazing. And there's lots of little moments throughout the, the whole film. Yes, there are the, the casino thing is it has a purpose because they're trying to get the code breaker to get on the ship, but it's, it could have been handled a lot better and it could have been like this rant a lot shorter. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I really do generally love it. I think there's so much more good in this film than there is bad personally. So before I hand over reluctantly to Mr. Breen for his say to uh, to ruin my day, mind you, at least you've watched the MCU film, so you want to be ahead of Mike sit in it anyway. So um... I'll tell you what, then. I'll, I'll give a positive on Last Jedi as Adrian Edmondson in it, and I love him. Oh, yeah, that was brilliant. If only if only Rick Mail was still alive. Yeah, I think Last, I think Last Jedi could have been improved in everyone's view. Those two had been on the deck, and they just spent five minutes kicking each other in the bollocks. I think everybody. <laughs> Eddie, <laughs> I see your point. <laughs> um, to, to your point, TC about the about Ray and and Kylo and communicating. The one where they they start talking and then, then Kylo's just kind of sat there in his trousers with his top off. <laughs> that, that was that was just awkward. And I mean, I know they made it a bit of a joke where like she sort of says to him straight away, like, can't, can't you, uh, can't you put something on? And, um, but yeah, it was just, there's just things like that that are a bit weird. I've got, in, I was thinking about like the, the bit you said about where they kind of like do the, uh, the light jump through the ship. And they, they had to put like warnings up on the screen saying there's a period, there's a period of this film where there is no sound because everyone's running out complaining like, oh, your speakers are broke or whatever. Like, so it's so, so I like it when things do do stuff like that that confuses people. But but yeah, I, I, I do like it. There's a lot that, that, like I said, there's a lot to not like about it, like um, Luke milking that weird alien thing. But yeah, so um, moving on. Uh, no, um, Paul. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Paul, what are your um, thoughts and feelings on The Last Jedi? Well, uh, 
The, oh, sorry, the that's all we got time for now. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on to Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> the fact that both yourself and Tristian had to caveat your discussion about the film by saying, I know it has big flaws. The fact that you both had to caveat that before you went into your conversation about how much you liked the film, I think speaks volumes for the film. The comment from Ryan Johnson regarding him wanting it to not feel like your typical Star Wars film, I think for that attitude was the problem with the whole film. Rogue One and The Mandalorian is not your typical Star Wars story, but it fits perfectly within the Star Wars universe. And I think that's fundamentally where the problems lay. And again, it's also that I think that it just smacks to me that they just hadn't thought out a story arc for three films. Because this film, for me, pissed on everything that had been established or set up or teased in the first one. The killing of Snoke in this film, I think, was a mistake. I Yes, you can talk about your Boba Fetts, you can talk about those characters that, that we, we saw in, in small portions that the fans desperately wanted more of. But you, know, you set up the big bad. You, you, you've, the whole point of it is this character. It, you, you can have the betrayal, but in the second film, it just it meant that there was a, a whole new story had to be started in the third film that had to be wrapped up whilst also wrapping up the story arc of that trilogy, whilst wrapping up the story arc of the previous eight movies. And that had to be done in one film. And it, I think that was a big, big mistake. The, the Huck character was established as this plain, evil, fully believed, complete Nazi of a character in the first film with that big speech he does before they fire off the, uh, the star killer thing for the first time in front of all those troops. He became a comedy character in this film as, as sort of a, a, a bit of a joke character to make a really weak ass joke with Kylo Ren throwing him against the wall or, or him repeating what Kylo Ren had said and the, everyone looking around very quizzically at him for a second saying, well, you've just, he's just said that. That, that, that wasn't, that's not funny. That's just, why are you undermining this character that's been established in the previous film? It's just, just undermined that character completely from that point on. The caretakers, what the fuck were they? Well, they're, from the, they're not from the same film. Well, why have we got stupid slapstick comedy in there? It, it just didn't make any sense whatsoever to to have those characters in there. The whole point, I thought he was supposed to be isolated. He's not isolated. There are other people on there, and it just didn't it didn't make any sense. And the, and the, for me, this, the humour just butted up against the darkness that was trying to be established within that film. It just it just didn't gel with, with the film at all. And I I agree with you about the the hum the humour aspects of it or a lot of the humour aspects of it. Like they turn BB-8 into more of a comedic character. Like when he's trying to get the X-wing working at the start, and he's just got his fingers in all the things. And then when he's dry, he's he's controlling the um, Imperial like machine at the end as well. And and so yeah, I I I, I do agree with you that some of the humour was misplaced. But yeah, um, I think what they did with Luke's character was a disgrace. Uh, I think as as an actor. Um, Mark Howell must have been absolutely livid when he was given the script um, because he had nothing to do but be mopey and act like a, some sort of petulant teenager. It was, there was no, it didn't give him any, any opportunity to, to stretch himself other than having his bottom lip out all the time. And, it, it, and fine, if you want to go that route in terms of him being frustrated and also you know, feeling like he's let down the galaxy um, because he wasn't able to 
to build this new Jedi Order. Uh, that's fine. But don't have him behave like a mopey child. Again, that just didn't make any sense. And like you say, the stupid moments with him, the blue milk and all. It's just like, oh, come on, give the guy a bit more respect, both the character and the actor, a bit more respect, and and give him something more, something special to do. There are, I totally agree. There are moments in this film that are wonderful. the The light speed moment is incredible. Uh, the visuals and the sound design on that moment are wonderful. One of my favourite moments in the entirety of the Star Wars universe is actually in this film. It's the moment when Luke is standing outside, all the, the, the walkers have lined up in front of him and he just gets them to fire all the weapons at him. The dust clears and he just looks at his shoulder and just does one flick with his hand like he's flicking the remnant of dust off his shoulder. That's an exceptional moment. The idea that we've never seen in any of the Star Wars films, we've never seen the light side as a real powerful force, pardon the pun. You, you, yes, we've seen them be incredibly you know, fantastic users of lightsabers and, and to utilise the force, the force project himself across the galaxy to this place in a corporeal form. That's the first time we've seen that level of power from the light side. That was great. But as a film, I'm sorry, it's terrible. It's the, and it, it's... The actress who played Rose, she's a wonderful actress. Again, really poorly underwritten character. And I don't understand what they were trying to do with that character. Uh, it, it confused everything that had been sort of started to be set up in Force Awakens. It, it comes back to the Dwayne Johnson thing and wanting to sort of subvert people's expectations. That's fine, but it's got to be logical. It's got to make sense. And when we get to Rise of Skywalker, that character is completely sidelined. And it, 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 for me, it proves that the studio... And J.J. Abrams and people like that just ultimately didn't believe in what had been set up in that second in this second film. I think it's a real mess. Uh, I, I genuinely don't like it. Um, and I'm frustrated for the fans. I'm frustrated for the actors involved in the project. And it, it smacks of an incoherent system within Disney and within Lucasfilm about where they were going with things, because J.J. Abrams was supposed to be at the helm. He's exec produced on this one. But it feels like no one's had any involvement. There's, there's no one sitting at the top and being involved in overall trilogy story arc. It's almost like nobody got involved with the script on this second film. I got, well, that's a great idea, but we need to finesse this because we've got to make sure we get to this point. And the whole casino sequence, why? What a waste of people's time. This film is nearly two and a half hours long. You take that sequence out, it's a much stronger, I think it would be a stronger film. And it, Finn gets completely weakened as a character and again gets sidelined. Why do that? If you're going to introduce new characters, if they're going to be your main people for this trilogy, why are you sidelining all the characters? And then you, you, know, you bring back Luke in this one. There's the anticipation after the, the, the we didn't see him at all. We saw him in the final shot, The Force Awakens. And then you completely underwrite his, his story arc and his character. And he just say comes across as like a petulant child I don't know you can probably tell that maybe I'm not a huge fan <laughs> it makes me angry that there doesn't seem to be any coherence across production uh, and across the studio uh, at all um, I'm, I'm not talking about it being yeah, everything being fan serving it needs to move on it needs to do something different it needs to Rogue One it needs to Mandalorian which have done incredible things but I think it just I don't know. I don't know if it's Ryan Johnson. It just felt like there was a disrespect for everything that had come before for me personally. That's my two pennies worth. 
I'm converted to the dark side. I, I agree now. Go on. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think the, the fact that we've, you know, between the four of us, our, our opinions differ and vary, um, and we can both acknowledge the, the other side to a degree uh, in aspects of it. So I think that kind of sums up the film, really. So um, one point that I meant to mention before, which I didn't, through the through the marketing for Force Awakens and and through through the film to a certain degree, there's always this hint that maybe Finn had the force or was you know was connected to it in some kind of way and and you know even even to like the, the the fight against um, Kylo at the end of that film you know and, and he's shown to be quite strong but then like Paul said like they've you know they, they kind of messed the character up with the second film so but yeah I, I, I can understand and I can see the negativity on the second film but watching it as kind of you know as, as as an entertainment, as a spectacle or whatever, you know, I, I enjoyed it in that sense. You may or may not know, Mike definitely knows this, but I like to see shit blow up. So, um, you know, so as a cinema experience, I think that's possibly why I've maybe got a bit of a soft spot for it. Sorry, I just asked a question to all of you, um, and it's something that Paul actually mentioned about Poe Dameron was only meant to be in Force Awakens. Do you think maybe that part of the problem of Last Jedi and that maybe that whole casino thing is that if Poe wasn't there, perhaps it would have been Finn leading the rebellion against the rebellion on the ship against Holdo mm. and what have you. He would have been involved more in, and, and wouldn't have gone off that whole casino. I must admit that casino story, I just feel like it's tacked on to give Finn something to do, you know, and introducing the Rose character. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if, if maybe Poe Dameron hadn't been involved. Maybe Finn would have been carrying that load perhaps during, throughout Last Jedi. What do you think? Potentially, yeah. It's a, it'd, it'd be an, an explanation for it. You're putting Finn more into the, the hand role then as well. You've got like Ray as, you know, as the Luke character going off and, and understanding the the Force and stuff. I mean, we, we said that Force Awakens was, was like, you know, it was kind of a massive nod to A New Hope. So you kind of did hope that the second one was going to be Empire. But it's 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 not. You know, I do like the film, but it's definitely no empire. So, yeah. So, should we move on to the final film of the saga? Let's. <laughs> Episode nine: The Rise of Skywalker. The dead speak. The galaxy has heard a mysterious broadcast, a threat of revenge, in the sinister voice of the late Emperor Palpatine. General Leia Organa dispatches secret agents to gather intelligence, while Rey, the last hope of the Jedi, trains for battle against the diabolical First Order. Meanwhile, Supreme Leader Kylo Ren Rages in search of the Phantom Emperor, determined to destroy any threat to his power.
2019 brought us the final film in the Skywalker saga, and that is The Rise of Skywalker. I've only watched this film twice. I watched it at the cinema on the opening night, and then I watched it again last week. Um, that's, I've only watched it in its, in, in its entirety twice. Um, as soon as it came on Disney Plus, did put it on for the wife and kids to watch, and they all lost interest quite quickly. So I had a bit of a huff and turned it off. Um, so it was only really like in the, in the last week or so I've, I've actually watched it in its entirety for a second time. So that possibly shows my feelings towards the film, maybe. Again, you know, as we've said before, there are aspects to it that are really, really good. And then there's a lot that's not so good. So um, who wants to go first with this one? Nobody. Let's get my shit out of the way first. Now, I think... It's terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm just let's put that up front. But I think, obviously, with the unfortunate death of Carrie Fisher uh, between these these two films, I think her character was probably, you know, Leia was probably going to have a much more prominent role yeah, within within the film uh, had had she still, you know, been around. Uh, and it was obviously a devastating uh, loss um, for for her to to pass away. So they obviously had to then. You know, rewrite seeing what you know what would have been a much more prominent wrong and, and change that around uh so there was a difficulty there but i think they also again as, as i've mentioned already the problem jj abrams had was last jedi uh in that he had to resolve all the storylines from that one film whilst also resolving the trilogy storyline whilst resolving the nine film arc which is that's impossible you can't do that in a two, two and a half hour film. It's, it's impossible to do. So the task of, of being able to achieve something fantastic was impossible. It, it couldn't happen with what the, with the way everything had been set up as far as I'm concerned. I think it's a, it's a terrible film. Uh, again, there's lovely moments, but it introduces things that, that completely jar and don't make any sense whatsoever. And the, the sudden revelation that they can just beam things to other places in time they solidly and just transport things by the power of the force and you know with the end with the lightsaber where did that come from i'm sorry that that's that's never been hinted in the books the comics the films the tv shows there's there's no and forgive me if people are listening if there is a moment it's like somewhere in some show where this comes up but i I mean, obviously, I'm quite immersed in this universe and know quite a lot, but I've never come across that. And to suddenly introduce that as a way to be able to resolve the end of the film was ridiculous. The stupidity of the kiss at the end makes no sense whatsoever. You can kiss, but it shouldn't have been that type of kiss. That made no sense whatsoever. It, it didn't. Where did that come from? They, they did not have that relationship. There was not that type of bond between those two characters. It, it, the the reveal of what Ray's lineage is was hack, as, as far as I, I was concerned. But it was just trying to sort of court. I don't know what it was trying trying to do, but it just didn't it didn't work work for me. I'm running out of energy to be angry and miserable about this and that's how I felt watching this film I was getting more and more angry and more and more miserable as this film went on because I, I was thinking okay right well this is it this is how you're going to end something that started for me in 1978 and this is how you're going to end it the there are so many things they were introducing new characters in the final film you think, why why are you introducing all these new characters and when you should be 
upwriting the characters that you've completely downwritten now that were being introduced in the previous two films and making them much more prominent within the storyline and that you're introducing these other characters for no reason whatsoever it's i i by the end of the film i wanted to be like c-3po in this film and have his memory wiped <laughs> so that i wouldn't have to remember how this had sort of disappointed so many people around the world and Yes, there are fine moments in this film. There's a the beautiful moment when Han comes back, and it's obviously just in Kylo's, in Ben's mind, um, and he repeats the "I know." Uh, is, there's there's lovely little moments in there, but it is a mess. But born out of the mess that was Last Jedi, just to reinvigorate your your anger and hatred, riding horses on the outside of a spaceship to take it down. Yeah, mm. yeah. That's I, one I, of my I, one of my major yeah. takeaways from the film, and I love Finn as a character. I've named my cat after him. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I mean, like what they did. But then he had, he had another separate potential love interest in this film, didn't he? With the um, yeah. the the although obviously Billy D. Williams snuck in out at the end of the film, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like so again. It's just I I agree with you on this one in terms of the writing and what they've done with with the characters. One of my highlights of this film, though, and it probably shouldn't be, but one of my highlights of the film is Babu Frick. <laughs> he's the most ridiculous. It's, yeah, he's he's better than the little droid anyway. The the, the droid that the old the the, the old um, bounty hunter had that um, suddenly became friends with him. It's like that made no sense. He just conveniently knew how to uh, how to get to get there. But, but yeah, some great visuals like the visuals of, of all the um, uh, all the destroyers, like sort of like all mounted up and on the lightning and everything. So you know, visually, there's there was some great stuff in it but i think the phrase i probably i think i used at the time when we watched it was clusterfuck <laughs> and i think that's um that's probably still quite appropriate now so uh what about you mike uh well like you i i've only seen this film twice i saw it when it came out of the cinema was excited to see it because it had jj abrams back on it so i thought i had high hopes for it um and then again last week for this i, I didn't see it again after that um yeah, not a fan. Not a fan at all. I think, as um, Paul already said, I don't know why they killed Snoke off in the second one uh, when he would have... I think that would have made this film a lot better if we'd have carried on with him as the uh, main antagonist instead of having to bring Palpatine back. Just sort of quite random there. Just he's back from the dead. OK, yeah, we'll, we'll go with that. That's fine. He's a great villain. Um, and But I think we've seen enough of him with the prequels as well. I didn't think he really needed to be back for this. So I appreciate it help tell the story of Ray, but I just, it was lost on me. I just didn't see the point of that. I think Snoke would have been much better. Uh, the only real positive I've got for this one is Richard E. Grant. I thought he was great as General Prides, but then he's great in everything, including the Spice Girls movie. It's just, he can't do any wrong, really, can he? But again, <laughs> they, they sort of bodged that moment as well, because I've read somewhere that he's Huck's father. Really? And, he, and he kills Huck. Doesn't he? He just turns on his shoes and we found our we found the mole. Mm. Um, but I'd read somewhere that in the script, I mean, it, there's there's a scene where it, there actually is is noted that they're father and son. Why was that moment not in here? That would have been a great moment. But again, Huck was wasted. Completely wasted. A character that we'd been built up and then sort of undercut in the second film and then just thrown away in the third film. Yet when it was getting interesting that he was you know, he was giving the information to the to the resistance but then it was just thrown away just, it, it, there was no shock in that moment and there was no it was just oh right they've, they've done that now 
Yeah, I, I, I didn't really like that I, I, at all. It's like he turns out to be the spy. It completely goes against everything he was doing in the first two films. And and then his reasoning, you know, I don't want you to win. I just don't want Kylo to, I want Kylo to lose. It's like, that's that's not a good motivation for someone who's a general in the Imperial Army or the First Order or the Final Order Army or whatever the one that, whatever you want to call yourselves this week in this movie. You know, you seem to change your name every uh, film. Yeah, I'm, I think we're all in agreement with this one. I was so disappointed with this. Visually, it's great. There are some amazing visuals, and I, I get that. But, you, you know, style over content should never be the reason why somebody enjoys a film, I think. And, and, and yes, I will defend my, my love of Last Jedi. I'm sorry. We just, we just disagree on that. But Rise of Skywalker, I mean, the title alone, you know, I, I really hate the way that Ray just decides to pluck the name uh, at the end of the film, I've, I've got an issue with that. I, I guess it's kind of I'm honouring the the name by taking it at the end. But really, it, it, there's, there's no reason for her to call her that. You know, I mean, if anything, if she's a, if, if she's the kind of person that we're led to believe over these three films, she should take the Palpatine name and try to redeem it. That's kind of more in. I I would say that's more in line with her character and her beliefs and her outlook on life. But. The thing is with Ray throughout the whole watching the trilogy in such close proximity as well, you know, like originally we watched them two years apart, of course, but watching them all as a whole. I mean, I know this phrase gets used a lot, but it's so true. I mean, she's a Mary Sue character. She's a completely perfect character with no real flaws. She can pick things up straight away. She's always she is a living Dasex Machina. You know, she always seems to be the resolution of everything. Um, that was never the how things were in the original trilogy and it wasn't even like that in the prequel trilogy you know there, there was a lot more i've kind of got more of a respect for the prequel trilogy now after re-watching the sequel trilogy again um i say this is the film that i've watched the least and it's very hard for me to kind of find things that i like about it I, I, the best bit about it the credits roll and it's over yeah uh, the, the thing is with you talk about the ray character now she's supposed to be a jedi she, if just in the canon of Star Wars, the Jedi are supposed to be controlled and, and the dark side is where fear, hate, anger, you know, all, all that stuff comes from. She exhibits fear, hate and anger all the time, particularly when she's fighting. And it's that, so that, that goes against everything that has been sort of written in Star Wars lore, if you like, about how how it's used. So it just, indica- I mean, you, yes, you can argue, well, it's the, that's the Palpatine in her fine but then that smack that goes against exactly what you said about her character be being sort of so pure and always doing the right thing it, it goes completely against that so again it's just poor scripting yeah because I, I get the idea is that they wanted to show conflict because they even show her as a sith lord with her dual-edged yeah North Morley type which was a steal from obviously empire strikes back yeah yeah exactly the, the you know, from there you know or reference yeah, back yeah yeah again rise of uh, skywalker almost trying to mind you know bringing lando calrissian back for no other reason than just to have him back and it's still great to see him but that leads to what i i call the great avengers endgame ripoff which is the whole finale <laughs> of uh, rise of skywalker yeah. you know, on your left uh, on your left all these starships you know and when she's finally facing palpatine you wouldn't get that reference mike yeah no mike would get it <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mike, just, just, just so that you know, because you've seen Rise of Skywalker, there, one of the, the defining moments of Endgame is where Tony Stark actually makes a play and he, he, he goes up against Thanos and he says this thing where it's, I am, pause, Iron Man, and it's one of the fan favourite moments. Ray does exactly the same thing, I am, pause, 
all of the Jedi. And she brings in the second lightsaber. And I was like, and I, I think I even said maybe verbally, you fucking ripped off your own film from earlier this year. Jesus, you run out of ideas, you know. Um, and I'm, and I'm I, oh, I would be a Sith Lord if, if any of this was true, because I can feel the anger rising into my chest right now. Um, the thing that annoys me again is, is, is not physics so much. The physics that annoyed me about the whole uh, Starkiller base in Force Awakens is this whole thing about how is, how is she Palpatine's granddaughter? How? The timeline doesn't work because it means that when he because when you see the flashback to her father, he's quite a young lad. And, and she's about, what, eight, ten years old in those flashbacks? And, he's got, and she's got young parents, which means that Palpatine had this, his son when he was the emperor, when he was the old wrinkly emperor. Now, I know that it's quite a, a forgiving galaxy and lots of creatures intertwined with other creatures, but Jesus, who the hell would fuck Palpatine, honestly? And, and, and sire a child... And raises, I just, I, it, the time doesn't work because it, at no point in the prequels does it say that Palpatine has a family or, or is married. None of that, because that would have made sense. But then the time frame wouldn't make sense. So it's just, it seems to me that Abrams was on um, after Last Jedi and not, not, not so much the critical reception, but the fan base. Yeah, um, we, we've talked about this before in other pods where the fans were so powerful and hated Last Jedi so much that I think Abrams, he he came in because Ryan Johnson, I, I don't know if he was meant to be involved with the third one or if there was going to be a different director, but I don't think Abrams was going to direct it. It's like he came in to do damage control. And like you said, Paul, he had too much to do. He had to try and make amends for Last Jedi. He had to try and finish off this trilogy. He had to try and finish off nine parts story arc can't do it in two hours even though it's two hours 20 minutes it's impossible as rise of skywalker proves it just it it, it doesn't work for me it's a real it's a real chore to get through it uh, every but for so many reasons you can see that abram's trying to tick these boxes and yes carrie fisher um it should have actually been leia's film uh, Last Jedi was all about Han. Was it was all about Han and in Force Awakens? It was all, always meant to be about Luke in Last Jedi. It was meant to be about Leia. She was meant to be a main focal point. And of course, the, the untimely death of Carrie Fisher changed all of that. You then got, and I don't want to say this in any disrespecting way, but they then had to take a moment in the film. They felt the filmmakers to respect our princess. You know, you you get the moment of. Um, or, of Leia passing away in the film and then there's that moment which feels so at odds with everything else that's going on but you know that they're not really they're not really respecting Leia it's a it's a thing for Carrie Fisher we get that there's even a thing at the end saying you know four hour for, for Carrie our princess so I get all of that but at the same time we could have done without that they like you said Paul there, there was no it really felt like they were changing their minds so many times as to what do we do? How do we tie all this up? How do we bring it to a conclusion? Maybe we should have had an episode 10. Maybe they should have thought it through a bit more and given us a two-part ending. Now, you know, cynics might have said, oh, it's a cash grab. But maybe if they'd just had a bit more time and, cr and worked with it a, a little bit more. I, I know you guys are not happy with Snoke dying in Last Jedi, but I like the idea of Kylo becoming the ultimate supreme power in the universe a different kind of a threat. The apprentice actually becomes the master of all these surveys. And he is not the emperor figure. The whole thing with uh, Snoke being a clone of Palpatine feels like hack writing to me. Like, oh, how can, how can we reverse Ryan Johnson's decisions in the third film? And, and you should never make a film as an apology. Make, the f make a good film. And unfortunately, 
Skywalker is not a good film. And like I say, Rise of Skywalker, I hate the title. Duel of the Fates was what it was originally called. And Duel of the Fates and that script, if you get a chance to read it online, is so much better than what we got. And would have been a lovely tie to, of course, Duel of the Fates being a piece of music from Phantom Menace, of course, uh, and, and would have made a lot more sense. And I think we might have even ended up with, it could have been a really downbeat ending. We could have ended up with the Sith in charge at the end of this ninth film. That would have been one hell of a way and a very different way, but very Star Warsy because it's clear that over the timeline, uh, things ebb and flow. You know, there's there's a, a time of peace, there's a time of tyranny, there's a time of peace again. Now we're back to a time of tyranny. But yeah, maybe it could have had a real darker ending with Ray becoming a Sith, with Kylo fully like in charge of the galaxy. And that could have opened up a possibility to episodes 10, 11, 12, maybe. I don't know. But... Uh, I just feel it was such a wasted opportunity, a real. Yeah, it was. There's just, yeah, there's. I mean, this, these hundreds, seemingly hundreds and thousands of Sith that are there in this that huge amphitheater at the end, sort of just watching what's going on. Where the hell have they all come from? Yeah. Uh, and again, again, not referenced in any other film or TV show in terms of there being an undercurrent of that happening. And there was a mo. I think it was on YouTube. Somebody put together that moment you were talking about when she says I am all of the Jedi you hear the voices but they what they did they put the 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 force ghosts of Qui-Gon Jinn Obi-Wan everyone behind her that was really effective and if they'd have done that and then all the Jedi that we've seen in all the films and then just more going fading back into filling the ground the 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 sort of centre of the amphitheatre that all the Sith were around. That would have been a really powerful shot. As said, yeah, there's all of you, but there's all of us. Yeah. And that would have given a bit more coherence to that moment and, and made it less of a, a sort of hack cliche script moment. I think it would have been a more powerful visual image to what was just about to come. Uh, but it's, it's so, so poorly done. I, I don't think it could have ended on a downbeat thing. I think it, it, it needed to end on, on on hope again. Hope is the overriding theme throughout all of this, and it, it needed to end on hope being realised. Uh, I just don't, particularly being a Disney product as well. Ultimately, you, you can't have nine films ending on oh they didn't win. It, it, that never would have happened. But it was so poorly realised. Uh, it's it's just really interesting reading all the fan fiction online. There are so many better stories out there. Uh, it's just, uh, it, it, for me, yes, of course, there's a massive amount of pressure on delivering. But I think it was a question of throwing too much money at, at the inverted commas problem. Uh, and a too blinkered a view. It would have been, I mean, I would have loved, you know, everything's obviously 2020 in hindsight. But if that had been passed to Dave Filoni and John Favreau, it would have been so different we would not be having this conversation. Yeah, very true. I mean, we, we know that there are going to be future Star Wars films. Uh, there's still talk about Ryan Johnson doing his uh, a trilogy, but completely separate from Skywalker. Maybe we'll see a different side to it there. I can see, Paul, you're shaking your head already. I think that... I, I, I think, or, no, I think, I, I mean, it's a, it's a completely separate thing with new characters. Uh, I don't have an issue with that at all. Ryan Johnson is, a, you know... Apart from Last Jedi, it, for me, is a good writer, good director. But it, you know, as a separate entity, I don't have an issue with that at all, um, because it, you, know, you want to see different, different things and new characters and new journeys and new worlds. You know, just whole new experiences within 
the Star Wars galaxy, you know, within the you know, within that universe. And it, it but it was a misstep. I, I was hoping Abrams was going to be directing all three because for me, he got the first one right in terms of tone and set up some interesting story points. And I think to expand that would have been would have been fun but it got farmed out and again it's just there's no coherence to the trilogy at all and nothing links up and it just smacks that they didn't do a, th- a three film story arc smacks of them doing one at a time is it oh, we better we'll do force awakens we'll make it similar to new hope because we don't know how it's going to be received it was always going to be massive um but uh it, you know it, it just smacks of right okay we've done that now right what do we do next rather than here's the story arc for three films because we know we're going to make them and yeah, and then it just the lack of the lack of coherence across the entire trilogy. Where, where George Lucas was clearly making it up as he went in the original trilogy, he made it work. You know, he, well, he made, had a story. He had the entire story in his head anyway. It was all there. Yeah, yeah. but obviously somebody should have. I mean, I, maybe you want to blame Kathleen Kennedy again because obviously she's one of the main. Yeah, of course. Behind yeah, it. I, I don't want yeah. to really speak Satan's name. <laughs> <laughs> Well, can the true Lord of the Sith please stand up? Oh, hello, Miss Kennedy. Um, yeah, no, no, you, you're right. I think it's the lack of cohesion. Even the prequels, at least, felt like it was a story arc and they knew where it was going. Although, again, in the final one, I felt they were rushing too much. Um, yeah, this this new sequel trilogy, it's um, it it does have the same certainly those same flaws uh, for me but for you know four months later well actually for me it was july of 2020 when i finally got around to watching it mandalorian reaffirmed my faith back in star wars you know uh, and the next film that's coming out is rogue squadron i think it's christmas 2023 uh, it's patty jenkins yep. who did a good job on the wonder woman films yeah so it'd be interesting to see what you know where they go next in terms of the film universe uh, it's yeah we've had the one one thing announced so far but I think there's certainly, as a result, sadly, of this this last trilogy and certainly the last two films, there's much more interest in the new TV shows that are coming forward than there are in new films. And as you can see, with, with the, the level of production, that's, how it's slowed down significantly with regard to film uh, on this, in the Star Wars universe compared to the TV shows. I mean, we've already had, you know, we had, we've had Obi-Wan announced forever. Uh, or Kenobi, um, we've had Ahsoka's been announced. We've got Boba Fett coming. We know Mandalorian's coming back. So there's a huge amount of excitement and drama to come with regard to those, but very quiet from film production side. It's just this one announcement. So and I think that's that speaks volumes. Yeah, and I think that's a good thing. I think I mean again, you're talking about new stories, Rogue Squadron. Where that's going to sit in the timeline, I'm not too sure, but. Um, it's exciting the talent that's already been announced behind the scenes for that film. And I think it's good that we're getting a gap. I think it's very important that we just get that gap. Uh, again, as we discussed with Solo, it came out too quick after Last Jedi for me. It could have come out that following Christmas. It could have sat nicely against Mary Poppins and the other films that were out uh, of Christmas of 2018. It would have been fine. But uh, yeah, to have this gap now, TV is great because you can dip in and out of TV, but to have a movie event, the next Star Wars movie event, the fact that it's still two and a half years away, I think is a very positive thing. And it could easily get pushed back again. We're not quite out of the bad times of the pandemic at the moment. So um, I think what Mandalorian's done is reaffirmed my faith in Star Wars has made me excited to see what's coming along 
in the next few years. Um, and fingers crossed it's going to be of the, the TV and the films, whatever, wherever they go, hopefully it's going to be of a, of a higher quality than Rise of Skywalker. Uh, Skywalker. <laughs> um, just on the subject of new content coming, um, obviously this episode is getting launched on Star Wars Day on May the 4th. And just to drop a plug for Disney+, Plus because we're determined to get them to sponsor us or something, the latest animated series, uh, The Bad Batch, launches today as well. Um, so once you finish listening to this, you can log into Disney Plus and uh, get a fresh Star Wars animated fix. Try and watch Clone Wars. Make sure you get Clone Wars in. There's a lot of episodes of that because <laughs> uh, the Bad Batch will make more sense. To, all the backstory there as well. Yeah, and I just like to just one more. I think there's there's an irony in uh, one of Yoda's famous lines: uh, "Do or do not. Uh, there is no try." That sadly they tried with this final trilogy they did not do (laughs) sorry just one last thing on last jedi um the one thing i absolutely do love about that is the fact they went back to an animatronic yoda for his scenes no cgi it was a proper uh, animated yoda puppet there and i absolutely adored that scene so um, one of the things that film got right uh, so that brings us to the end of the uh, Star Wars saga, but well, for now, anyway, there's probably going to be more in the future. And like we mentioned, like, there's going to be a lot of other things. It's how and when it ties back to the original films. So before we go, just quick, simple answers. Um, Favourite Star Wars film, Mike? Rogue One. Darth Brain? You just, you can't, it's like choosing your best child. Uh, it's you give that because of... <laughs> the amount of time because the amount yeah the amount of times I've seen it I'm caveating the amount of times I've seen it the the fact that it still makes me feel like a child Rogue One number two New Hope number one because of the feels it gives me TC um, Empire Strikes Back for me closely followed by Last Jedi I oh, know <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt uh, Rogue One for me and then the flip side of that we'll go to the dark side. Start with you this time, TC. It's a fairly simple answer, but uh, worst Star Wars film? Uh, it's probably got to be Phantom Menace. Paul? Rise of Skywalker. Mickey B? Rise of Skywalker for me as well. And Matt? Phantom Menace for me. It's I've got a lot of dislike for that film. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so, so that's it. So... Um, Thank you once again to Paul and to TC for joining us for another Star Wars episode and hopefully we'll get you back on to discuss a fresh topic soon. Uh, thanks so much for having us again. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun uh, discussing something in the main I love. Uh, same here. It's been it's been great to watch all the films again. Uh, I was hoping to squeeze in Mandalorian seasons one and two again, um, but I just kind of found myself running out of time over the last couple of weeks. So uh, obviously getting ready to go back to, to work. So uh, ironically, when this episode's drop uh, May fourth, I will be back in the office and I will be uh, uh, starting the doing the doing my job again, which is kind of scary to think uh, after all this time. So um, today's uh, quite an important day. Not only is it May the 4th, it's also back to work day for OPTC. So thanks again as well to Mike Mad Dog Angus for doing the uh, voice service for us today. You can find him on Facebook, just search for Mike Mad Dog Angus uh, or on Twitter, which is at Angus Mad Dog. You know, give him some love. Really great bloke. And he's uh, really helped set by doing that for us. Um, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter as well. Uh, you can see more of Mr. Breen by following Have You Seen This podcast. Uh, was it number 36 best 
film podcast in the UK or something at the moment? Yeah, yeah. So uh, there's a feedback, there's a blog, quite an influential blog. And uh, yeah, we've appeared at number 36 in their top 50 movie podcasts not to miss during 2021 which is fantastic so yeah you can go over to there you can vote for us on there as well which you can push us up the list uh, but yeah so we dropped in at number 36 which is uh, fantastic excellent I mean, obviously it's probably because Merce has got like 73 different email accounts he's logged in with um, <laughs> 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 but yeah but we'll uh, we'll be back soon with more content uh, as TC's mentioned we're going back to work soon which is good but we'll as soon as we have our plans uh, we can get our new content coming your way um, so I suppose all that remains to be said at this point is may the force be with you. <laughs>